This episode of Holy Cannoli has some grown-up words that might not be appropriate for little ears. You've been warned. (laughs) (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Episode 30. Merry (laughs) Christmas. Christmas. Yes, it is Merry Christmas. We're getting this out at the very end of 2018. Merry Christmas is our last episode of the year. Wow. We're going to take a couple weeks off. We'll be back in the new year. But we are sitting in front of the Christmas tree right now. It's literally Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day. We're haggard <laughs> with all of the things our <laughs> children have. We like worked hard to give them a good Christmas. They you, had a great Christmas. My wife went to town with, <laughs> um, she's very gifty, making sure they love everything. Uh-huh. Down to the mechanical pencil. Yeah. Which they got mechanical pencils. And one of them got two (laughs) in her stocking, and the other two noticed that they only had one. I wondered if they were going to bring that up. I was like, it just flew under the radar. I was like, ooh, that's nice. And then right at bedtime. By the way, how come I only got one mechanical? He got two. Oh, Canolio's life with children is just so humbling. Can constantly feel inadequate, but. Hey, one soul, one soul emailed in to podcast at bravemaker.com with a holiday story. So good on you, Lou Covey. I'm just going to take it that the rest of you canolios wanted to be private, and that's fine. That's okay. Or you just don't like us, that's fine too. No. We'll, we'll, we'll pull it back a little bit. <laughs> we know people are listening. I see 360 people listening to this podcast on the regular, but that's okay if you don't want to engage. You don't need to share no your shame. stories. It's all right. <laughs> we just won't put this kind of stuff out there because maybe it's too pressure-filled. But Lou Covey, this is what he, he, he gave me permission to read it and to say his name. Okay. He said, I'm not the anonymous type, so put it out there. So here we go. One year, I was not able to make it home for our Thanksgiving. This is a Thanksgiving. See, he's, he's, he's giving a holiday story like from Thanksgiving, okay? So anything could have gone here. And I found out that there was a half a dozen other friends in the same boat. So we decided to get our gig on together. One of my friends, he's going to call him out. So I'm gonna, it's, in, it's in the email here. Ralph. So Ralph, sorry, Ralph, you're being called out right now, <laughs> had a chef background. And he volunteered to do the turkey. And he chose a walnut and oyster dressing to go with it, which that doesn't sound good to me. A wall well, certainly. No offense, Ralph. No offense. Tony Ralph. doesn't want your turkey. <laughs> uh, let me continue with the story. <laughs> so Lou says, my roommate and I went to the kitchen to inspect the progress and saw the joy, the jar of oysters on the counter. So he and I decided to prank Ralph. This is their friend, Ralph. So Ralph, you shouldn't, this, you already messed up in the first place by having oysters okay. and walnuts. <laughs> Sorry. <get> <laughs> so Lou and his friend take the jar of oysters and open it up and shove one of them in their nostril and when ralph came back in the room we acted this is must have been the other guy um, john acted like he was about to sneeze as ralph turned around john held his clear nostril closed and sneezed out the oyster from the other nostril which landed with a loud splat on the counter i kind of want to gag right now a little bit that sounds really gross (laughs) (laughs) as ralph looked on aghast john then well i'm in a i don't know if i can read this part john then sprinkled on some hot sauce on the 
oyster, also known as the booger, stuck it on a fork and ate it. And Ralph yeah. could not eat dinner because of that. That's the story. Wow. So he wanted so, him to think he was eating his own booger. He did. I but think regardless, he ate something that came out, out of his, his nose. nose. Yeah. With hot sauce. That's really, I, I don't think I could do that. <laughs> I don't think I could shove a whole oyster. Oysters are pretty big. Why would you? <laughs> Ralph. Like for Ralph, a laugh. Just for, for Ralph. If you want to get get under Ralph's skin. So thank you, Lou, <laughs> for <laughs> getting under Lou's turkey skin. <laughs> that was actually worth it. Of all of our pleas to have sharing stories, that was worth it. But here's a story I promised I would share it last week. This is probably, I don't know, 15 years old as my grandma. And it was on Christmas Eve night, which my dad's birthday is on Christmas Eve. So happy birthday yeah. to my dad. He turned 70 What's yesterday. Up? So Tony Sr., I'm, um, I'm, I'm also a Tony, turned 70 yesterday. But on, on my dad's birthday, like 15 years ago, my grandma was still, oh, maybe it was longer because my grandma died in 2001. So yeah, it was actually like probably 20 some years ago. My grandma, who is a super foul-mouthed Italian lady, like she <laughs> would put you in your spot in a minute. So don't cross her. She also loved to cook and loved to eat. So she was a little bit on the plumpier side. And at one point, you know, she had like a little bit of a limp because she had a knee thing. <laughs> so we just opened all our presents. We're saying goodbye, my grandma. <laughs> my grandma. She's walking out the door and she also smoked too. Oh my gosh. This, she's a, painting a picture of Grandma Gaps. <laughs> grandma Mary. So I think she's walking out the door and granted, I'm in Chicago. Let me tell you that at this point. I'm in Chicago. She swivels open the door. It's like she goes to light up a cig and it's icy. <laughs> and one thing after another, it was like her legs flipped up whoop, like right underneath her and she landed right on her butt. And all the grandkids, all we could do was like laugh but oh the funny thing was gosh. was as she fell she farted so it was like <laughs> whoop, poof, and we all were all laughing and she's like cursing at us <laughs> my grandmother who was at the point probably in her 70s is cursing at her grandchildren saying shut up you bee like get, get me off the ground get me out of here stop laughing you bees <laughs> and when i say bees i mean you know what you I mean. know <laughs> Oh, yeah, so she Merry Christmas. Really hurt she herself. really could have hurt herself. That's scary. Yeah, it is scary, but it was super funny just to <laughs> see my grandma. She was probably like 5'2". She was super short, plumpy. Oh, my gosh. Total attitude. I miss her. <laughs> so those were the only two the only two Christmas gifts we could pass on today in story. But with that said, uh, the episode today, our last of 2018, is kind of a, a very heady one. It's a good doozy one. It's going to make you think. It made me think. It's with my friend, Kevin Nooner, who I, I started out the podcast. We were talking about Brave Maker. You'll see it'll kind of go in there. We're talking about, he asked me, what are your plans for Brave Maker? And then we went into how we knew each other. And then it got like this uncomfortable, um, <laughs> awkward situation because I was just complimenting him and telling him how like his mind is so above mine. I always felt like I was insecure in school. We went to seminary together and he's like, you're making me feel uncomfortable. But the funny thing is if you listen to the podcast, the way that he thinks is really awesome and unique. And it like, makes you think even more. And you're probably going to disagree with him. You might not like some of the things he's going to say. It might make you feel uncomfortable. But he is a like, huge reader. He's a um, very devout theologian and follower of Jesus. Doesn't like labels. You'll see all that kind of stuff. But I'm really stoked to connect with him for this podcast. And we are both in a rotation with a local church. So we speak at the same um, worship gathering. So we often get to sit under his mm -hmm. teaching too, which is super fun. So... 
Yeah, he's That's great. That's it. Yeah, Look anything else you want to say? Okay, cool. Well, Merry Christmas. Uh, happy, happy holidays if you celebrate. Oh, yeah, and Happy New Year. We'll talk to you in the first week or two of January. January. All right, enjoy. You are listening to the Holy Cannoli Podcast. It's all about making sense of life, who we are, and why we're here. Life is sacred and life is strange. And here's our dad, Tony Gapastone. Uh, I talk about how people can become, you know, donors because I think this is an extension of that brand yeah. is telling brave stories and helping people <coughs> know why they're here, know why they, you know, what's life all about. So this is all that kind of stuff. So the, the, the yeah. idea would be three years from now that I have a, you know, fully supported nonprofit 501c3 and then I'm passing off the executive directorship to somebody else so that I'm focusing full-time on for-profit filmmaking and pouring profits into the nonprofit so that we can make and generate more films that explore spirituality and justice and gender equality and LGBTQ issues yeah. and become, a, like, a, I want to be a, a generator um, and a cohort for Bay Area creatives because I feel like I've waited and tried to fight and tried to, like, hustle so hard and... I feel so alone sometimes in the filmmaking yeah. journey that I go, I don't want people to feel like that. Right. I want there to go, like people to go, there's, no, there's support. You know, you can get support. Let me bring you into the fold here. Let me help you, whether it's funding or just storytelling or finding crew. There doesn't need to be such a a gap, you know. And then I don't want everyone to go to L.A. I want people to stay here <laughs> and do stuff. I keep forgetting I have two um, excuse me, one person that um, just showed up to Spark. I've known her for a couple of years. Anyway, she just graduated with a theater degree and is looking for work. I almost said theology because you start with the Same th- thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, she has a theater degree and was hoping to find some work, and, and she's uh, right now doing an administration, you know, just paying the bills and stuff like that. But I said, well, let me get you connected with my friend Tony. And, yeah, please. Um, and he's in that world. So um, She wants to act? Like that's what she yeah, wants to do? Yeah, yeah, she wants to be talent. Um, yeah. Eventually, you know, um, she says she, I think she appreciates the stage more than the camera. But I mean, I, I'm sure she's adaptable mm-hmm. enough to, you know, take take the gifts and talents and whatever she has. To well, do. I'm you know huge shout out to my friends in Redwood City of the Dragon Theater. They're doing some awesome mm. theater, and I would love to get her connected to there. But there's a lot of great theater all up and down the peninsula for sure. I'm gonna launch into. The brave, that this, is on, this is not the Brave Maker. <laughs> well, I'm going to launch into the Holy Cannoli podcast. Kevin Nooner is on our episode 30, which is super cool, coming out Christmas Day. So Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah. Whatever you celebrate, if you happen to be listening this week, I'm just glad that you're dialed in. Uh, Kevin Nooner and I go back. I'm, we're going to talk about this right now because I'm trying to figure out where we go back to. I'm pretty sure we were in seminary together. Mm-hmm. And how I know is because I always felt like you had super wise things to say or good questions to ask. You were always someone who stood out. And I think it was in, was it in Daniel Kirk's class? Were you with me in that class? It's very possible. I don't. Yeah. Um, I'm actually very, very horrible at recalling relational history. <laughs> so I apologize right now. So you're like, um, we, what? We were even connected? I didn't know. <laughs> No, I know we went to seminary together, and I'm sure we took a couple classes together, but I don't have, 
I don't pay attention. When did you graduate? Do you remember when you graduated? I don't. <laughs> Your memory is bad. Here's the problem. I went kicking and screaming to seminary. Oh, so you I, did. I basically put my head down, did uh, what I needed to do to get the job done, and then got out of there. Yeah. Well, so I'm referring to Daniel Kirk, who was our episode 13 guest. I remember being in that class. I'm pretty sure you were in that with me. I also felt like I was kicking and screaming. I did not feel like I was a good student. I still don't feel like I'm a good student in this way. Like I like to write, but I like to write stories, not yeah. papers. Yeah. I cannot sit behind a desk and listen to someone lecture. And I even told Kirk Daniel that. I was like, that was painful. And we actually wrestled around like his syllabus and stuff. But I always felt like you were amazing. I was actually, I looked up to you. I felt almost intimidated. Like this guy's mind is way too brilliant for me. Like I felt like I could, I still feel like I cannot exist in that theological. I'm a simple theologian. You're making me very uncomfortable right now. <laughs> Good, awesome. I do, I do not think that your description is accurate at all. So. Why do you say that? Oh, well, I, I hope this isn't false humility. I, When you uh, just live in the world, you realize how many people in this world are smart, brilliant, intelligent um, geniuses and you realize that you are not one of them. Uh -huh. And so for you to say those things to me, I, you know, your podcast listeners can't see me. I'm just shaking my head. It's like, you're ridiculous. You have, <laughs> you have no idea how simple and pedantic I am. <laughs> so, Dude, I mean, that's so funny to me. I, I mean, I think that's how all of us, I think in some way, we just don't have a correct view of ourselves. But I, so yeah. Kevin Nooner, our guest today, he and I, so obviously seminary, but then you were a, were you the chaplain or the spiritual life director at that school? I think chaplain is a good descriptor for people who don't know. I mean, the position that I held is a very unique one at this particular school. It was titled spiritual life director. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody really knew what that person was <laughs> responsible for doing other than the, the chores of chapel speakers and running a team that does programs and events and student leadership, those kinds of things. That was my department that did it. Um, but I was also responsible for a variety of, I guess, quote unquote, spiritual life things. So for example, if students wanted to play a particular song during a, a rally, I, it came to my desk and I had to approve, You'd approve it. Right. And I had to like Katy Perry. No, but um, <laughs> jars of clay. Yes. Or what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, I, I'm my mind and my uh, theology was um, a little bit more progressive, I think than the school was. Sure. And so I had to figure out how to navigate those waters um, oh. carefully. And uh, there were, there were moments where I would disapprove a song that everybody thought was okay, but because I, went online and I saw the video and the messaging behind it, even though there were no curse words or, you know, things like that, that perhaps a Christian school wouldn't want. Um, what was more important to me was um, these fundamental ethics and morals and messages that were being mm -hmm. conveyed. Mm -hmm. And even though the lyrics on the face of themselves, kind of like a literalist approach to the lyrics of the songs yeah. may have been fairly innocuous, um, the subtext was important to me. Um, Can you give an example? Um, so there's this one song that I think was about running a, running and finding freedom. Uh -huh. And I can't remember the exact title of the song, but the video was about a school shooting uh -huh. and about trying to find freedom from the violence of that. And I really wrestled with that one for a while mm -hmm. um, because obviously... I don't want to steer away from things that are real. Um, I, I'm not afraid of 
exposing kids to real life. But I wrestled with what really was the message of that video and that production. And in the end, if I remember correctly, this is many years ago now, um, your audience will probably know which, which song this is, so I apologize for my bad memory. But um, I remember the kid in, out in the field with a bunch of guns pointed at him. Mm. And I, you know, this is obviously, uh, maybe not obvious, but I, I have a tendency to lean a little bit more liberal on these particular issues rather than conservative, um, even though probably the school that I was at was a little bit more conservative. Um, I, I just had to decide whether or not that was an appropriate thing to platform. And I think ultimately it wasn't, I, part, of, part of my job was not to necessarily um, speak my mind, like this is what I believe. Part of my job was actually to represent accurately what the school, mm-hmm. I think, was supposed to approve or disapprove. And that was finding the line between that is always difficult. When you're within an organization, you have to set aside your own sure. ideas in some ways um, without giving up your identity. And finding the balance of that is is a challenge. It's a tension. Um, and it's a tension that you should always um, embrace. You should never try to resolve that uh, tension. You should never completely give up your identity and just do whatever the organization wants to do because then you end up, oh, I don't know, like a lot of these Silicon Valley uh, tech organizations that are finding themselves in a lot of hot water right now hmm. uh, when you lose your your basic individual moral grounding. But at the same time, you are a part of an organization and you can't just be an individual um, within that. Say, so, well, I believe this and therefore screw the organization. Right. So <clears throat> in things like the approving of the songs that was that was a challenge for me i guess i'm interested i'm curious because it sounded like you had to wrestle through your own perspectives as you were in this position and maybe was that part of your leaving because i oh uh, my leaving yeah no no, okay Mm. because i want because it's funny because i have this this is again maybe my insecurity i uh you know i was chapel speaker a couple different times. Yep. I think I did two or three of your retreats. Yep. And yeah. I was in a place of questioning and exploring and trying to push boundaries a little bit and ask some good questions. And again, in the same way, trying to be a good team player with my organization, the church I was a part of, as well as whatever church or school, in your case, the high school I visited, trying to honor where they were. But then at one point, like I didn't get any more phone calls. <laughs> so I wasn't invited back to any more chapels, any more retreats. I was like, ooh, did I burn a bridge? What happened there? And that was fairly like early on in my journey that I didn't feel like I was really being you know, provocative or whatever. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to let that be, see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that like for you? And by the way, did you cut me off? <laughs> <coughs> The decision to hire a speaker is an extremely complicated decision-making process. Um, A, you have the quality of the speaker, which is a piece of the puzzle. B, for our school, it was also about the relationship that the speaker had with the students. C, it does have something to do with the theology and whether or not there's alignment. Um, D, it also depends on what are we trying to accomplish. There were a couple retreats um, after you where we didn't have any speakers at all because what we were trying to accomplish was a different kind of communal output, uh, communal result with the students rather than the standard format. Um, One of the things that I uh, attempted to do and and my staff and my team could 
uh, can give the evaluation as to whether or not we were successful, is to disrupt the pattern, disrupt the monotony, disrupt mm -hmm. the, kind of the routine. That's a good of word, yeah. And I've always been one that believes in that kind of disruption, uh, psychologically, theologically, um, because it can cause new and fresh things to awaken. It's part of the creative process. So as, as soon as you're into routine and monotony, you start losing, losing all of that. Um, so in answer to your more personal question, <laughs> did we cut you <laughs> off? <laughs> uh, the answer is no. We never... You needed to disrupt me. I was getting too monotonous. Uh, the answer is no. We... we uh, your name was on the short list. I mean, it was um, I, you can ask anyone on my team. I mean, Tony, Tony Gapastone or Tony Gapastione. Hey, say however you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, was always on the short list, so you, you don't have to worry about that. And uh, that's not just uh, false praise. I w I would tell you if it was otherwise. See, now I'm feeling totally comfortable now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm comfortable with that praise. <laughs> I affirm you, Tony. Thank I'm you. here to Thank affirm you. Kevin. you. <laughs> I will say I had some really special connections with some of those students. Yes. And I, you know, I'm still connected like to a couple of them. We just did an event a few, what was that? A few months ago when we did that um, LGBTQ event and one of the students who uh, was at one of those retreats, he came to the event and he was saying, hey, I was trying to come out to you at this one point. And he's like, I wasn't really sure how to do it, but just wanted you to know, you know, you didn't say anything offensive. <laughs> I was like, oh good, that's great. Cause I didn't catch that you were trying to come out, dude. It was, and, and so I was grateful for those years of being with you. And I felt like you led in a way that was very thoughtful, you know? So, but why did you leave that school? If you want to talk about it, cause you started a church, which I'd love to get to. Why did I leave? Um, boy, there's a lot of potential directions we could go with this. <laughs> um, the short answer is if I did not leave, I would have been fired. Okay. Um, there were indications at the change of the leadership guard over at that school that was being made clear to me that I was not wanted by okay. the leadership. Mm -hmm. And my, my staff and my team... Um, I had some of the best years of work in my life in ministry. These were phenomenal people. They still are phenomenal people, but we had a synergy in that team. We had created some new programs. We had done some dynamic, creative uh, things with the school that um, we were very proud of in, in ministry to the students. But I was also progressive mm -hmm. and asked questions and uh, did not see the Bible through a literal lens. Um, I taught history in context. Um, I cursed. Uh, what? <laughs> because there's cursing in the Bible. And you can so curse on this podcast too, by the way. I can. Oh yeah. my goodness. Well, I don't want. I don't want anybody to know that I actually do that. <laughs> um, I'll give you an example. I mean, those, this is the one that got me into trouble. Uh, Philippians um, has this yeah. phenomenal passage, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know the Greek word, the yeah. Greek word "skubalon." Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm in the class and teaching, I was assigned Philippians as the class to teach. It was sophomore Bible. So these are 10th graders. And for those of you who don't know, I got to interrupt you real quick. Have you seen this book? No. Oh, I'm showing Kevin this book called Dwelling with the Philippians. It's a book with like scripture and image and it's such an amazing book. Oh, I think you will, look at it. you will borrow this. Oh, okay. I will not borrow. I do not borrow. You don't borrow books? Or lend books. No. 
What? I have to buy them. I have to own them. You and I do not them. give them away. <laughs> no. That sounds like a problem. We need to talk about sharing, though. We can absolutely <laughs> talk about it. And uh, I'm very, very open about my uh, very strict, uh, militant uh, uh, guard of my library. Yes, wow, absolutely. that's impressive. Um, I mean, in some way, publishers would thank you for that because <laughs> you're putting money in pockets. Back to cursing and flipping. Sorry, I well, okay. So for the people <laughs> in your audience who don't know, you know, um, I consider all things, um, and then various translations have rubbish or garbage. Um, uh-huh. Refuse is another translation in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Yeah. And the word scubalon in Greek actually means shit. Yes. So I consider all things basically a pile of shit. <laughs> and this is actually has resonance back to the Old Testament. Um, this is going to be fun to put the quote out when we make the quotes from the, yeah, this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag what, whatever. <laughs> Excuse me. So here you have this word, and if you're going to ask Kevin Nooner to teach Bible, I'm not going to not teach this because, mm-hmm. first of all, it makes for me the Bible, the, it makes it so much more real. It is very, it's commonly taught in seminary that the Greek in the New Testament is what's known as koine. Um, the, uh, I, uh, some people pronounce it kune because of the definitions and, and how people have um, the, the work in translation and pronunciation. Anyway, Cune Greek is what's known as common or vulgar, which is um, part of the reason why the Latin is called the Vulgate. It's, it's everyday language mm-hmm. Greek. It's not the aristocratic Greek. It's not classical. It's not high-end. It's not academic or, or learned Greek. It's pedantic, everyday kind of colloquial Greek. And the, the problem that I think many people have is that they don't understand what that actually means. What it is commonly meant is it was for the everyday person, that every every person can understand it. But part of what it also means is it's very earthy in your face. It's very down to um, visceral language, like skubalon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Hebrew Bible, actually, um, it, some of the way the Greek is translated over from the Hebrew is also fascinating, too, because um, the... Hebrew Bible has this word gilulim, which actually uh, to gol means to go round and round and round. It's like a it's a word that means round or a word that means to roll, and it's used for idols. It's it's so when you say gilulim, uh, some people translate it idols, but the word actually means dung balls, mm. shit balls. Mm. <laughs> That's what they're calling those idols, right? And gilulim, these little round things, they're calling these idols. Little and turds, they're using I love it. Little turds. <laughs> they are using that <laughs> phrase to describe these idols. It's so refreshing. It's a different way to come to scripture. I the feel like more entire people like, Bible is like this. Ugh. The entire thing. Yeah. And so when you say that the Greek is Kune Greek or Koine Greek. It's common, vulgar, everyday Greek. This is what it means. In addition to its accessibility to everybody. And the thing that um, I so lament is that we don't teach this and that we have sterilized mm-hmm. the text because we have certain morals and ethics. Sure. So we'll pull out, for example, in the uh, in the same epistles, um, don't let any unwholesome talk come out right. of your mouth. Right. How dare you right. use anything unless it is encouraging and building others up. And curse words, vulgar language in our society is is not uh, appropriate in that particular sense, and especially if you're in a religious or Christian context. And I totally understand that, and I think I actually would believe that. You do not want to use unwholesome talk um, 
in a very indiscretionary way. This is, it would be inappropriate to just always speak your mind. So there are some ethics in there, but that doesn't, that's not a one-to-one correspondence or, or a, a finite game, a, you know, zero-sum game where if you don't use that, therefore you can't speak in this other way. Mm. Um, it's very similar to people talking about justice issues in the world where Christians have a tendency to speak heavily on forgiveness. Like if something evil or bad has been done um, to you, it is very, very high and holy in Christian circles to forgive. But that does not mean, that's not a zero-sum game that if you forgive, that means there, there's no justice and there's no condemnation and there's no anger and there's no wrath. And so we have a tendency, well, this is our psychology. We just can't hold tension. We can't hold ambiguity. We can't hold nuance. Mm. It's also part of our uh, our psychology, our evolutionary psychology. We, it's hard to, for us to do that. But if we can, we start to enter into what we're saying it's the real world Mm -hmm. and the bible the entire thing was forged and formulated in the real world and Mm -hmm. so that's why yeah you you curse when you you teach philippians and also and other i mean you should read some passages in in especially in ezekiel that would make oh yeah you know it's just there's, it's a lot, there's a lot of shit in Ezekiel, isn't there? Isn't he rolling in it? There's a lot. Of, I would say this. <laughs> there's a lot of bodily functions yeah. and fluids yeah. in Ezekiel. So I got to imagine you're in this high school class, theology history class, and you're teaching the Bible. I got to imagine there's a lot of high schoolers who are probably more interested in reading the Bible as you taught it that way, but you're getting pushback from administration slash parents who are asking you to refrain from using such words. Is that kind of what happened? Fortunately, I didn't get much because I think the students understood what I was doing. So uh-huh. I and there were some parents and some families that really appreciated it. Uh, I think they wanted Christian values and ethics, but they didn't want um, Christian sterilization. Sure. Uh, right. <coughs> and so there were some who definitely appreciated it and some who, um, yeah, uh, knew what I was doing and their eyes were opened. You mentioned a student from the same school wanting to come out to you. Mm -hmm. I've had six students from the school come out to me Mm -hmm. and it's kind of crazy. Like I, I'm now the person because they, they could feel and they could sense that I was a safe person. And, um, Oh my goodness. I don't know how much we should get in. (laughs) I I told you, I told you my brain doesn't. Well, after I left, they held a they held a, a chapel where they talked about LGBT issues. They mean the school. The school. Uh-huh. This was after I left, and I had, um, I had my old staff call me in tears mm. regarding the messaging, because after that chapel, and it's nothing unusual sure. if you're in evangelical world. Um, after uh, that chapel, students were in these teachers classrooms crying and basically saying well then I won't be a Christian anymore um, and that just oh that, that breaks my heart in so many different ways um, and I don't know where I'm going with this Tony <laughs> because mm-hmm. I mean my heart just breaks and so yeah. th- so what I think I was trying to do as I was navigating my own personal beliefs etc yeah. was to ground myself in an ethic 
of following Jesus, like truly following Jesus, not like saying you follow Jesus because that's the definition of Christian, but actually reading these passages in a way that says, what was he teaching? What was the historical context? What is the underlying ethic? What are the, what are the subtexts and the presumptions? What's the redemptive movement that is happening in all of these texts? And when you start asking those questions and start, <coughs> excuse me, you're going to have a lot of editing to do. <laughs> um, once you start asking all these questions and going down that road, it opens up a completely different way of thinking and reading um, that is much more open and capacious and generous. Um, well, so this led you I don't know. to start Spark, which is where you and your wife right now are, your church, your ecclesia, God's called out people gather together in Palo Alto and you call yourself Sparkies, right? Is that right? <laughs> Sparkers. Sparkers. Yeah, I like Sparkies too. Sparkies. Uh, so Spark- Sparkers. And the kids are called Sparklers. Sparklers. <laughs> come on. So uh, talk about that. So you've now developed this community that is looking into scripture differently. It's looking into being the people of God in a different way, in a way that you're inviting people to really to lean in to look at scripture in this way, to really follow Jesus. What is that looking like? Talk, talk to us about Spark. Uh, I think you did a pretty good job right there. Um, <laughs> See, if you were close, we, I'd probably be a part of your community. But now it's cool. We're actually connected through the church I'm a part of now. You're a regular speaker yeah. on rotation there, which is yeah. super cool. No, that, that's been hey. a wonderful partnership. Yeah. It's been a wonderful journey. <clears throat> Spark is, I think, one grand experiment. Um, it's... I was having a conversation with one of our congregants about this, and he was saying, don't ever stop being an experiment. Uh. He really appreciates that. And the reason why Spark's amazing is because it has gathered a group of people that is willing to sit in attention, that believes that conversations over dogma is more, you know, that's what's most important, that believe that historical context, um, intellectual thought, the... um, the meshing together of biblical history and advancements in science, technology, psychology, neurology, etc. That's all part of what this journey is for us. Um, and once you have that particular grounding and you're grounded deep within core values, I don't know if you know this or not, but we don't have a statement of faith. So you can't find anywhere on our website or any of our documents that says we believe dot 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 fill in the blank we just Mm -hmm. do do not have that what we do have is core values love reputation reconciliation rescue and resurrection these are the core values and we have taken we have taken extensive time to really flesh out what do each of these values mean and you know four of those words turned out to be our words we didn't (laughs) intend that typical church i know it it, (laughs) that's the one thing that kind of because <clears throat> we definitely didn't, you know, strive to be alliterative, but um, but the reason why those words emerged is because if you stop, well, for Danielle and I, this is essentially how it happened. We took a vacation. We went down to Puerto Vallarta. We sat up on a rooftop bar in a hotel, and we just asked our question: Who are we, and what are we doing here? That's a good two questions we ask in this podcast all the time. Who are it. we, and what are we doing here? Now, so how'd you answer those it? questions are much more complicated <laughs> than you think they are yeah. um, because there are the very vocational responses to that. This is what I'm doing and this is what I'm trying to accomplish in the world. But then there's the identity aspect of it. 
And the way in which you answer that question is not to just go up, go around and think about what you want to be. It's actually you have to stop and evaluate who have you been. And you have to get outside of yourself and look back and say, where were the times where I got angry? Where were the times where time just disappeared and I was mm. fully in it? Yeah. When and <coughs> <coughs> we'll cut that out. Uh, when were the moments um, and what are the things that we refused to compromise on that we were willing to lose money, people, etc.? Because this was so core and central to who we are. And when you do those kinds of inquiries and questions, then you are emerging with this is actually what's core and central to us. This is actually, um, I got my um, MBA in leadership and organizational health under Patrick Lencioni's work. And this is actually part of the exercise of what you do for identifying core values for any organization. You don't ask, what do we want to be? You ask, what have we been? Mm. And you do the evaluation. So we did that. And there were moments in our lives where we absolutely refused to compromise on the reputation of God. And for us, what that meant was people would say things from the pulpit based on the Bible that we're like, that has nothing to do with this text that you're talking about. And as a result of that, the reputation of God, and this comes out of um, Moses's conversation with, with uh, God in, in Exodus, um, what are people going to think about God as a result of this action, this teaching, etc.? And there were moments where we would, you know, specifically my wife would just lose it. It's like that is not an accurate representation of this God that we see so in the text. So do you mean people who were speaking in the worship gatherings with Spark? Or you mean other... Sermons throughout America. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Not not only at church, the church that we were working at, but just everywhere. They, they would say things. You know how you... Um, I, <laughs> I'm terribly sorry to expose this reality, but <laughs> pastors and preachers have a tendency to come up with what they want to say, then go to their Bible software program, <laughs> keyword search that word, and pull out and find <laughs> verses that substantiate what they had already decided they wanted to say, right? Mm -hmm. This is unfortunately standard practice and still is standard practice, and people do this all the time. And that was, uh, that was one of those moments where within you, you, you just go, no, this is an injustice. That's the reputation. So that's core value number two for us, mm -hmm. reputation of God. Um, the first core value is love, of course, which comes from not only Jesus' words, but that actually comes from Deuteronomy uh, and Leviticus, uh, fascinatingly enough for those who still teach that the Old Testament is wholly irrelevant and, <clears throat> and cast aside. But anyway, that's a, that's a story for a different time. Um, rescue is about justice work in this world. Mm. Um, reconciliation is about the brokenness of the relationships that we all have. And, you know, there were moments in our lives where you would see these theological issues rise up that would just tear people apart. The LGBT issue is one that continues to tear the church apart. Mm -hmm. And our value is reconciliation. So if your value is reconciliation, again, over and above a doctrine or a belief statement, <clears throat> then your approach to these issues is radically different, radically changed. Um, and then, of course, resurrection, um, the, the core element of the story, the reason why life, uh, the reason why we all uh, actually have this faith is because life rose up out of the grave. And so these are the core values. And the reason why Spark is an experiment is because we have a bunch of people that have shown up. Um, there's a much longer history to it, which in, involves a lot of um, 
people who are church refugees who just simply don't want to go to church anymore. Yeah. Uh, that includes the leadership of the church. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I would not be uh, going anywhere. I would not be attending anywhere if it wasn't for our current congregation. But these are people that embrace values over doctrine. These are people that embrace you know, these conversations over believing all the right things. Um, we absolutely embrace the question. And questions lead to not answers, but more questions and mm-hmm. deeper understanding. And we embrace people sitting down with each other that believe very, very different things with one, one another. Believe it or not, we're in the Silicon Valley, right? I would say mm, probably the vast majority of my congregation is politically liberal, but we have a lot of politically conservative people as well. And Spark never takes a stance on that. Now, I will tell you that people on non-political sides of the spectrum are going to be a little bit uncomfortable at times. But the fact that they stay, mm-hmm. even though they're uncomfortable, that to me is the experiment, and that to me is the miracle. And in fact, this conversation I was having with this one congregant, um, we have a, a group of people in our church that uh, read through The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. They read um, Just Mercy with Brian Stevenson. Um, and we are having Austin Channing Brown coming in February to talk oh, wow. about uh, black, dig- black dignity in a m- world made for whiteness. Right. And that's, uh, isn't that African-American History Month, Black History Month? Uh, it turns out to be Black History yeah, Month, too. Yeah, that's so awesome. So we're going to be doing that in February. And I will tell you, um, because I've been a part of this group, that the conversations that we've had around race have been extremely uncomfortable. The, the entire mm-hmm. endeavor is, uh, is, is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But that this is the only way to reconcile. This is the only way that you can actually get to the point of learning and understanding how your words have impact with somebody, <clears throat> how your prejudices actually have real life implications and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, um, it's really beautiful. So that's one aspect of spark. It's the same thing with the LGBT issue. We had, um, you know, we had a, a, a reception. We, we have a, a wonderful gay couple in our congregation and, even though we didn't officiate their wedding, they held uh, the reception in our backyard, and we lost three families over it. And Meaning my the families left because you celebrated the gay wedding? Yeah, well, and they said to us, we need to go to a church that actually believes in the Bible, sure. right? So it's that standard kind of line. And just to be clear, it wasn't like you said no to hosting their ceremony because you perform and officiate gay weddings. Okay, so now we're going to get complicated. Yeah, go Are we going to get complicated? Spark doesn't have a position on this issue. People have asked us multiple times from all ends of the spectrum, what is your position? We don't have one. And here's, perhaps I could um, illustrate it in this way. We don't have a position on women in ministry. We just don't have one. Again, because we are values driven, we're not doctrine driven, we're not belief driven, we're not issues driven. We don't have statements on any of those Mm -hmm. things. Um, now, if you went to our website and looked at who's on the board and who's on the pastoral team, you will conclude <laughs> what our position on women is. Well, your wife. <laughs> My wife is, is the Danielle's senior an amazing teacher. Yeah, She's and a pastor. senior pastor. And we have, uh, I think the board is, uh, it's a majority, is majority women, actually. Um, so there's no question in our minds that this is how we should act and behave but here's the key thing, not because we have a position on women, but because we are followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And 
that's hard. This is another reason why Spark is a little bit of an experiment is because that's really hard for people to, I think, understand. Because you think people want to know, like, what do you think? What do you believe? Give us some clear boundaries here. You Instead, are you just saying, no, we're going to let our actions speak louder than our words or than our value statements? Is that what you're going after? Yes, and... Not, it's not only let actions speak louder than our words. It's that our actions are not grounded in beliefs. Our actions are grounded in the way of Jesus. And that's what's, I think, hard. Like, even in that, that statement, and I, I'll do respect to you, it, 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 we're, we're trying to re- remove ourselves from the space of taking positions on issues. Mm-hmm. When you are a follower of Jesus, you are going to be surprised every single turn and every single step of the way because... The reality is there is a grounding ethic in the way of Jesus that may look very different and nuanced and distinct depending upon where you go. I'll give you an example with this women in ministry thing. It can be very easy to say that egalitarianism is the way of Jesus. And so women should have every single place and position within the church, etc. And that's very, very clear. And you dismiss whatever passages that Paul has written in 1 Corinthians 7 and 1 Timothy 2 and all these other places. And Jesus say that this is the way. But here's the problem with that. There's a reason why 1 Corinthians is in there. And there's a reason why 1 Timothy is in there. And I would say that if there happens to be a culture in which there's a hierarchy or there's a patriarchy or women are not educated Um, some of these passages, and here's where I'm going to get in trouble with the more liberal and progressive side of the audience, but some of these passages actually do apply. So if you're following in the way of Jesus, then you have to recognize that there's a lot of ambiguity in the moral outplay of all all these teachings. And so you have to be nuanced with it. Um, It's not as clean and clear and absolute. And I think that's part of the problem with this, the entirety of our the culture that we are facing in our in our contemporary circumstance, which is extremely polarized and vitriolic and stuff, um, is that there's nuance and gray and ambiguity that still exists in this world. And if you see one side going to a pole, going to a side that is misogynistic, patriarchal, etc., the response to that is not to go full all the way to the other side of egalitarianism. That's actually doing the exact same thing, just on the other side of the spectrum. The reality is to embrace an ethic that cuts through both pole, both dichotomies, both poles, both um, absolutes. And absolutism and fundamentalism is ultimately the problem. So you can be an absolute fundamentalist on a very progressive and liberal side. And that's not the way of Jesus either. You have to be very, very careful with that tension there. Does that make sense? I think you are speaking in such a like unique way that it's like I'm I need to catch up. <laughs> and I appreciate it though because it's making me think cuz I feel in some way I feel I am so simplistic even though I probably have very strong opinions and if you were to nail me down, I probably do have some camps of absolutism in some way. But what I feel like you're inviting us to is to like a, like a better analogy would be like the river, right? Like, mm. look, what's the what's the river of Jesus, and are we in the flow of Jesus, rather than sitting, I'm I'm on this bank or I'm on this bank, but I'm like actually in the flow, and that maybe feels for me a better way for me to understand what you're talking about, because it is very interesting and nuanced to understand what you're saying. Like there is, because I and I, I don't want to peg you down, but I go, 
I know you've performed, you know, gay weddings. I know you have. Women. I haven't. You haven't. Oh, I thought I you did. I thought you officiated one. No. Is that not because you don't want to, or because I haven't decided? You haven't decided. Oh, interesting. Okay. I haven't had the opportunity, and I haven't decided. But there is one congregant yeah. who has told me. Uh, she said to myself, when I get married, Pastor Kevin, you're going to marry me. I was yeah. like, okay, well, one day I'm going to have to decide. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Okay. <clears throat> so you're still in the flow of trying to figure out how you well, navigate through this. See, I feel like I need to say everything now because, yeah. you know, for, for the audience, this whole issue is, is much more complicated. Let me Let me see if I can back up and address a little bit of what I think I'm trying to do from a foundation standpoint. Let me give you an example. When you hear the word Pharisee, what is the fundamental uh, evocative feeling and ethic when you hear the word Pharisee? Most time they're villainized, yeah, right? They're As evil, the, yeah, uh -huh. hypocrites, right? right? Now, this is absolutely true um, in the sense that Jesus talks about them, you Pharisees, comma, you hypocrites. Mm -hmm. uh, Matthew 23 is probably one of my favorite passages Whoa. in the entire Gospels. Yeah. Woe to you, yep. Pharisees, you hypocrites. Um, you go out into the world and you make converts and you make them twice the sons of hell that you are. You know, yeah. you, you tithe your mint and your cumin, but you have completely neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, and mercy, and compassion. Uh, um, he just rails on them, just absolutely rails on them, um, and calls out their hypocrisy, calls out the fact that they have completely neglected anything good about the Torah, about the teachings that have been passed down in the part of their tradition. But then Jesus also says, hey, you know some of those people that sit on Moses' seat? You should listen to them because they sit on Moses' seat. And what does Moses' seat and listening to the interpretations of Torah come from? It comes from a Pharisaical line. Mm -hmm. This is not so simple. And are there Pharisees that are disciples of Jesus? Yes. Is Paul a Pharisee? Yes. Mm -hmm. So when you start digging down into this, you realize that virtually every issue, if not the entirety of the world, is some complex, ambiguous, nuanced mix of truth that exists everywhere. And as soon as you absolutize a Pharisee as just simply being a hypocrite, then you'll see anybody as a Pharisee. Mm -hmm. And then that might translate into if you see anybody with Jewish garb today, you might think something and you might have a prejudice or you might have a some sort of already preconceived notion about who those people are. And that is just as false mm -hmm. as the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. And so the, the evil or the, what shall I say, the evil might be a too strong of a word. The problems that we face are not the beliefs that we hold on one end of the spectrum or the other end. The problem that we hold is that we no longer hold to a spectrum. Mm -hmm. We don't, we are, we are, the reason why we're becoming more polarized is because we're becoming much more absolutized. We're becoming much more fundamental uh, in the negative connotation, connotative sense of the word fundamental in the sense that we just believe this. And if you don't believe this, you're wrong. It's easier in some way. It's way easier. So why is it easier? Yeah. This is where neurology comes in yeah. and evolutionary psychology comes in. And this is actually one of the chapters in this book that I'm trying to write. Being ambiguous is calorically heavy. <laughs> Look at that word, our calorically. Brains, we, our brains just cannot stand yeah. am, uh, ambiguity, and it takes actually more energy, more calories to burn, to yeah. think, and to process, and to hold ambiguity. I get that, for sure. I mean, I feel in this phase of life, too, I'm having probably more 
difficult conversations with some friends yes. who want me to peg down certain things and I'm going, can I, I need to, I'm questioning more. Like even, yeah. you know, um, I, I've always, I teach my kids like John 14, six, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and the life. And the only way to get to the father is through me. Right. And I had a friend recently who said, okay, so do you still believe that Tony? Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> right. I was like, well, let's talk about that. Cause I think I, read that different and I'm even using different language I read I don't use the word the Bible says anymore right, right. I don't the way I read it now could be different 25 years from now because of what I'm learning and how I'm absorbing and that is a very complex place to be it's a very ambiguous place to be and honestly I like it but then when I get pushed even more in these conversations I'm like it is overwhelming my brain can only take so much I don't yep. feel like I'm the most brilliant thinker in the world, but I I am trying to rethink things. So if the only way is through Christ to get to the father, but do I believe Christ is limited in some way? Like, what does it mean though? Like we raise our hand in a worship gathering, we go to the front. I don't believe that anymore. And so what do I believe? I'm still working that out. How do we come to Christ? Do I believe Christ is with us everywhere, every day, every minute in some, yes. Do I believe he's all places? Yes. Do I believe he's in these communities that, practice their faith in different yes but that seems really scary to talk through that and when some people start pressing me i feel like they're calling me that i'm not a christian anymore that i don't follow jesus and i go well maybe i just follow jesus in a different way than i used to or i'm a different type of i don't know so i really appreciate what you're saying even though i feel like it is uncomfortable and i i think if we can get used to living in the tension we'll find a little bit more so can i push you even further push me yeah I love what you just said there because if you listen to what you just said, you said, well, I don't believe this anymore, but then what do I believe? Mm -hmm. In other words, you have to re part of the challenge and, and many of us are going through this, right? The deconstruction part of the challenge has become, I have to replace that, which I don't believe anymore Uh with another thing that I do believe. Yeah. But categorically we haven't shifted. Uh, And for me, I think what I'm trying to convey, and I definitely believe this is the journey that I've been on, is I just don't believe anything anymore. (laughs) Belief is not the category under which Jesus has done his ministry and his revolution. And that is a completely different shift. Say more about that. Because I immediately go to scripture, a scripture that says, what's the work of eternity is to believe in the one. You know what I mean? You can go to that. There's always something that will pop up from the So past. this is this is where good history, good linguistic study, mm-hmm. cultural study, anthropology comes into play. Um, the word emunah in Hebrew and the word pistis in Greek do not mean belief in English. But yet it's the closest word that we have to describe what this word, what these words actually mean. Um you well, actually, you know the word emunah. You just maybe not know it. I don't know it anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I got to see in Daniel Kirk's theology class if well, you listen to episode 13. <laughs> what do you say at the end of every prayer? Amen. Amen. You hear the word. It's emunah. And the word emunah or amen is so let, let it, it be. be. Uh-huh. Or it could also be translated, I trust that that which I have prayed has been heard and will be answered. It's not a category of an assent to a particular idea or a concept. It is a relational sense of trusting in this person or this God or this divine spirit or presence in this prayer. So when you say your prayer, and then at the end you say, Amen, you are saying, okay, I let go and I trust 
that the prayer has been heard, received, and it will play out however it is. It's very much grounded in the idea of the very name of God in Exodus 3. I will be whatever I will be. You cannot define me. Mm -hmm. You cannot put it down in a belief system. You cannot codify it in a statement of faith. I will be whatever I will be. Oh, that's so good. Um, and so it's so fascinating for me because I, I went through this journey and now I'm so far <laughs> beyond it. It's helpful for me to be reminded. We have this impulse within us to replace a belief with another belief, mm -hmm. a contrarian belief. Mm -hmm. I don't believe this anymore, so now mm -hmm. I believe this. But what if the category of belief was never supposed to be the thing mm -hmm. that this movement was about? And maybe what Jesus was doing was upending that entire system in the first place yeah. and regrounding re us in the sense of trusting once again that this way of living, this behavior, even the, uh, and again, I'm going to struggle for the vocabulary, even the beliefs in the sense that uh, I believe that God is one, I believe that God is good, I believe mm -hmm. that God is love, right? All, even those beliefs, but those are not, <coughs> <coughs> even those beliefs, those are not the core and central aspect or the thing about the Jesus movement. The core thing is to trust in that, whatever it is that you might happen to believe, um, and take take it out of the category of belief in the first place. The difference of belief and trust is actually a really, I think, worthy conversation to have with yourself. You go, what does it look like? What's the difference there? How do I walk in that? Well, and this yeah. is why it's hard. Yeah. Belief is easy. Yeah. It's very easy. In fact, every other church in our area, every virtually every other church in America, with the, with the very You're few right. exceptions, has a statement You're of right. belief. You're right. This is what we believe. You're right. You're totally and it right. usually starts with, I believe that the Bible is the inspired inerrant word of God. I believe that God is one, <laughs> virgin birth, resurrection, second coming, uh, uh, yeah. right? Yeah. And so it's very easy to do mm -hmm. that. What's hard is to actually trust mm. that God is one. Mm -hmm. And here's why. When bad things happen, when there's ambiguity, what do people do? They go right immediately to the belief again. Mm. Oh, but this is what I believe. Oh, so your God is actually the statement of faith. Hmm. It's not actually believing that God is one. It's not actually believing that God is the same God in the conservative church as it is uh, as, as God is in the liberal church, that God is the same God in the straight community as in the gay community, the, the same God, right? To actually trust that God is one in all of this human experience is so much harder. And that's why people have statements of belief, because when you have your um, child come out to you, when you realize that the socioeconomic uh, system is not working for the poor and the impoverished, when you uh, realize that religious systems are failing, it's easy to just go to the belief system. It's so much harder to believe that God is one mm -hmm. there and working and with the poor as well as with the rich. And even what I just said there is very controversial. You mean God is with the rich? Yeah. And listen, I believe Bono. I love his statements. Do you like, trust him though? I, no, <laughs> Bono's not my <laughs> Messiah. Right? But it's a phenomenally beautiful statement that God is with the poor and the impoverished. And yeah. we are with God if we are with them. Beautiful. That's a prophetic statement. I believe that. Do we also believe that God is with the rich? See, that that's where this gets complicated. Mm -hmm. It gets very, very challenging. And I know what I'm saying is 
not going to be received well necessarily. Merry Christmas, everyone. This is your gift. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, it comes again out of following in the way of Jesus. Jesus was absolutely a a socioeconomic movement. There's no doubt in my mind that there is a socioeconomic implication for his movement. But guess who he was supported by? Rich people. Mm -hmm. Like if you read Luke 8, you have, uh, you know, Joanna, the wife of Rich women. And rich women. No, no doubt about it. But yeah. that's why I'm saying that when you read, when you actually read the story, and you read the historical context of it and the language, and you do all the study, you realize, oh my goodness, this is far more complicated and ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And he did not rail against those women for being rich. He did not rail against. He, you, don't, you don't find that. Um, he saves his, uh, you know, you know, most uh, harsh railing against the religious leaders. Um, but even the. Uh, the centurion who helped to build the synagogue, which you can go and see to this day in Capernaum or Capernaum, um, even that place that you can see that was built by a very wealthy, uh, high-ranking Roman official. You know, Jesus doesn't condemn him. So it is a it is complicated. This world and the way of Jesus is very very complicated, and the whole point of rescuing the world and reconciling these relationships. Um, you know, is very, very hard work, which mm-hmm. is why I, th- I love our congregation because I mm-hmm. think what we're trying to do is hard. It's very complicated. And we've lost people, mm-hmm. a lot of people who just couldn't hang with us in mm-hmm. that sense. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. I have no, you know, I'm not a church planner, <laughs> even though I planted a church. Mm-hmm. I, I do not like the term church planner because of all the connotations that emerge, um, at least in my mind. Um, we We're just, we really are trying to figure out what is the way of Jesus? And the way being both the description of the category of the sect of Judaism from the first century, but also, <laughs> also, <laughs> excuse me, also a description of whatever um, behaviors and values and ethics and life that you actually live. We're, we're really interested in that. And if you're really interested in that, if you're really trying to do that, well, guess what? That conservative Christian that really believes that gays are not in the kingdom of God, they are welcome at my church. But guess what? You're also going to have to sit with the gay couple that mm. we've just hosted their rece- reception in, in my house. And you're going to have to figure out what is the way in that relationship. And so many people want us to make a declarative mm. statement. And we have just decided we can't do that because that's not the way of Jesus. Mm. If we make a declarative statement about all of these issues that we actually probably are very much in alignment with, then we will have lost the way. We have just simply become another belief system, but just on the, the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. And that's not the way of Jesus. He didn't do that. So we can't either. I dig that, man. I think the it's so ambiguous and so wonderful and so beautiful and so tense and so challenging. And I feel like I get why people, I mean, people left Jesus, you know, when he was teaching. Uh, and at the same time, Jesus always interacted with everybody in a different way it wasn't the same way every single time and so i wonder if uh you know what you guys are doing is something that we're going to see maybe more churches you know catch on to because it's we live in a complex world and it's not black and white as desperately as we want it to be and i think that's one of the reasons why i started this podcast is i wanted to talk to different people and hear how in the world they're making sense of God in this time. So dude, thank you for that, for what you're doing. Uh, and you're not shying away from, I mean, it's the, it's provocative, it's controversial, but especially this event you have coming up in March. Yes. I want you to talk a little bit about that so people can 
participate in it. I would love for everybody to show up. This is going to be, I think, the biggest thing that Spark has done in our six-year history. We're in our seventh year. We have Justin Lee uh, coming to have a public conversation with Preston Sprinkle. Now, the very brief backstory to it, uh, Preston Sprinkle is a, a Christian theologian. Um, many would categorize him. I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think many would categorize him a little bit more on the conservative end of the theology. Uh, he does not believe... Uh, he is non-affirmative when it comes to the LGBT uh, topic. Uh, he's actually co-written a, a book with Francis Chan on hell uh, in response to some of the conversations that people were having questioning hell's existence, etc. Uh, so he um, so he lives in that space. Um, Justin is and to be non-affirming because people there are people who would listen to this podcast ah. who might not know what that means. So there's basically two positions, two, uh, and I shouldn't say positions, I would say two main big tents of categories that people lump in. That's affirming and non-affirming. Affirming would essentially be <clears throat> not only are you, um, the Bible does not condemn homosexual relationships, gay relationships, etc. cetera, uh, and you would affirm that gay people have every single right to marriage and uh, leadership and participation in the church. It, it, in some ways, the affirming position makes it kind of a non-issue. We don't care if you're gay um, and married um, and in a relationship. You are a member of this church, and it's it's not a central issue to faith uh, and expression. Non-affirming would be none of those things. Um, gay relationships are prohibited by the Bible, um, and if you are participating in any relationship, uh, a homosexual relationship of any sort, then you would not be eligible for leadership or participating on the worship team and those those kinds of things. Um, press Poss and possibly heaven. Would you say some people would. You think know, that? that's yeah. why I say two big ten yeah. categories yeah. is because now underneath all those, there's a whole bunch of nuances sure. and different different positions on that. Um, so that's Preston. And I would say that the additional thing that's unique about Preston and Justin is Preston believes that the sexual identity issue is a core and central issue to Christian faith. In other words, if you disagree with this position, then you may not be a Christian. So that would be that his category. Justin is fully affirming. He has, uh, Justin has uh, founded and led the largest gay Christian organization in America. It's had a phenomenal ministry and run. Uh, he has since left that organization to start a new organization called Nuance Ministry. He is gay. He is a Christian. He's very evangelical. <clears throat> I shouldn't say very evangelical. <laughs> I didn't mean to put that uh, that kind of uh, qualification on it. But he's uh, Christian and evangelical uh, and affirming and uh, is trying to do some amazing ministry and work and has been an amazing voice for the LGBT community uh, for, for decades now, for a very long time. Um, and so they're going to be in the room <coughs> together at your event. So we've invited them both. And we're going to sit down and we're going to have a conversation. And all this stuff that we we talked about over this last hour or so, uh -huh. we're going to try to model. Cool. And it's going to be uh, an amazing, I mean, I've, I've had wonderful conversations with both of them in preparation for this event. And I think it's going to be wonderfully enlightening. And we're hopefully going to try to navigate a way through this. Now, the other thing that's unique about this event is we're partnering with five other different ministries and churches, yours being one of them. But we have uh, Sequoia Church, which is the other church that we're a part of, mm -hmm. uh, the River in San Jose, Highway Community in Mountain View. Um, <laughs> shoot. Mm -hmm. I, I think those are, those are the three. You should I look it up? <laughs> <coughs> 
<laughs> you want to look it up? Yeah, yeah. Um, those are the three main organizations that we're we're partnering with. Yeah, I put it on the website. My brain's not for some reason working. Um, if you want, if you go to Spark Church, oh, is that uh, yeah, it's on the it's on the website. Spark Church slash events. Um, it'll be down there. Is dot church a thing now? I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah just scroll all the way down to the bottom. Yeah, all the way. Austin Channing Brown's right on there. there. Sexuality, Scripture, and the Soul of Christianity. Sunday, March tenth, oh. twenty nineteen. And you've got. So I, 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 yeah. Uh, I think that's why my brain fritzed is because I have the number five, but it's really only three. <laughs> it's it's Sequoia River Highway and Brave Maker. So those four organizations, in addition to Spark, it being the fifth one. Um, uh, in addition to Justin's ministry as, and Preston's ministry. And that to me is what's most exciting because this is truly a partnership with all these ministries in the sense that we're all going to try to come together and see if we can have conversations around great. this topic that are redemptive, that are reconciliatory, if that's a word. Um, definitely conciliatory, but I don't know if reconciliatory is a word. And we're going to try to, we're going to try to do this. And I hope People have asked me, uh, you know, what are you hoping to have happen? I hope people change their minds. But what I mean by that when I say change their minds is very much grounded in everything that we've been talking about. I hope people change their minds from being absolutely certain what they believe about this to being maybe there's more to this that I don't understand that I need to learn and figure out. Um, so one of the reasons why Justin and Preston are perfect uh, people for this. Number one, there has to be a posture and an attitude that works for something like this. But the other thing is that Justin has been criticized by the LGBT community for not being more progressive and more leaning into kind of the the stereotypical, you know, conservative Baptist church and not pushing them harder to becoming open and affirming. So he gets criticism on that end. Preston has gotten criticism from the conservative end for not being absolutely certain that all gay people are going to hell. Um, he His approach is much more progressive for being a conservative theologian. Now, he hasn't, he's not conservative necessarily on his theology. We will have yet to uh, find out how this all w- works out in the conversation. Um, but putting both of those in the same room together, I think, is a really wonderful mix because both of them have been criticized by their respective communities mm. because they're both holding a nuance. Preston's uh, work um, is about people to be loved. That's the name of his book. Um, and rather than, uh, he contrasts that rather than an issue that we need to resolve. They are people, people to be loved. Now, I will tell you that people in the LGBT community find that fairly offensive. What do you mean? You actually have to publish a yeah, book entitled People to be Loved? So this is going to be uncomfortable for everybody, even though Justin is also going to be there and he's going to talk about biblical passages in a different nuanced way that will make people on the other side a little bit uncomfortable. And you're going to facilitate the conversation. Yeah, I'm facilitating it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. We'll check it out. We'll put these links in the show notes and hopefully you will join us there on Sunday, March 10th. I'm excited. I'm going to be there bringing a crowd of people with me and... Kevin, thank you so much for being on Holy Cannoli. Man. This is great. We uh, we got f- through most of the things we put here on our whiteboard, so that means we'll have to get you to come back and talk more. Um, uh, where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Uh, spark.church is the church. Um, my homepage is kevinnooner.com. Uh, so. And he's always posting stuff. Do you accept anybody on your Facebook? Yes. Do you do Twitter yeah. as well? 
uh, Twitter and Facebook are not my accounts. They are basically public platforms for what I, I already do. So people ask me, um, yeah, I, I don't, I had somebody say, oh, you don't, you don't post anything personal. I was like, no, it's just a public platform for publishing. So, well, yeah. you do a lot of like book reading and reviews and yes. you're always putting on, obviously you talked about how much you love books. So if you yes. love books as much as Kevin and you love <laughs> theology and you like talking about everything from racial justice to gender issues, you know, you should definitely follow Kevin and see all the different quotes and books he's, he's reading and putting out there. Yeah, I do that for my own personal game, but I've also found that there's an audience out there. I've gotten uh, emails from all over the world that say, thank you so much for posting this because now I can get a sense of the book. That's cool. And I can get a little bit of a sense of, you know, what the author was attempting to do. And so it's been, I, I've found myself in a space of, you know, being a minister to people who are interested in ideas and, and books and stuff like that. So it's been great, yeah. So our tagline is life is sacred and life is strange. And I kind of feel like we should end with um, just live <laughs> in the ambiguity. So <laughs> happy holidays. Merry Christmas, everyone. Thanks to Kevin Nooner. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Holy Cannoli. If you liked my dad's podcast, please subscribe, give it a review, and share it with someone you think would be encouraged by it. Holy Cannoli Podcast is a proud production of Brave Maker Media. For more information or to donate, go to bravemaker.com to make your tax-deductible donation today.